Welcome. This is Talking Cannabis with Clarissa, a fun podcast show that talks about cannabis news, education, safety, and the cannabis. My name is Clarissa Strohmeyer, an international speaker, consultant, and founder of Ganjali.com, a cannabis news site. If you are interested in building a cannabis brand, cannabis investing, cannabis products, trends, and cannabis secrets, then this podcast is for you. Hey everyone, welcome to Talking Cannabis with Clarissa. And today we're talking about cannabis and hemp in Colombia. My special guest is Os Zadoff, CEO and founder of CanX Consulting Group. Oz is a business development consultant with five years of professional experience in the cannabis industry. He was involved in developing, investing, and fundraising for multinational cannabis companies throughout Colombia before co-founding CanX Consulting Group in 2021. He aims for CanX to become the world's largest trade facilitator of high-quality medical and pharmaceutical cannabis. Hi, Oz. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Appreciate it. Thank you for being here. And so, Oz, tell me about your journey, your background, and how do you, do you end up from San Francisco to uh, Medellin, Colombia? So I grew up in between Oregon and California, and as I was growing up, there was always a very big culture about cannabis. Uh, the first legal operations were starting to pop up in San Francisco, one of the more famous ones, Harborside in Oakland, actually, uh, Steve D'Angelo's first uh, dispensary. And so I was basically raised within the cannabis culture, always very interested and when I was younger, I basically took a trip to South America, and I've been here ever since. And being a passionate um, member of the cannabis industry, I was looking to see how I could develop my skills as an international business consultant within the cannabis industry in Colombia. Um, and, you know, the industry was just arising back in 2018. The Colombian government was just allowing uh, the first agro-industrial licensed companies to come out and, you know, fully licensed, fully certified from the Ministry of Justice, Ministry of Health, um, what we call the ICA or the Colombian Agriculture Institution. And so lots of different institutions that come together and governmental organizations that create a legal industry. And in 2018, I was down here in Medellin, and I was super excited to look for different opportunities. And I came with my business partners, and James and Sam, who were my bosses in Panama. And we had basically started a, a cannabis company down here. And so I would help out with everything that was fundraising, because back in 2018, there's a way to cultivate, yet there's no way to and sell your products. And so what we would find is that the Colombian industry required a large amount of investment. And we can see hundreds of millions of dollars that have been raised in the last couple of years from 2018 onward, and both through private equity, also different companies that are within the stock exchange on the NASDAQ, and you can find quite a few. And, and so that being said, and I was fundraising for different businesses. Our business went very well. 
Um, and as I left the first business and I became a cannabis consultant, so basically consulting for other businesses that were looking to create private placement memorandums for private equity. And through that, I uh, consulted for the next three or four years on a multitude of different businesses, helping them fundraise, helping them basically develop the whole business idea and really understand the global industry. And from there, um, in 2021, we had the idea of Canix. And Canix is basically a, a cannabis company that comes together with the idea that in Colombia, there's a lot of agro-industrial cannabis cultivators of both psychoactive and non-psychoactive cannabis that cultivate both medicinal, pharmaceutical, and well-being-grade cannabis on an agro-industrial scale at a very um, high quality and at a very low price. And so the idea here is that you know you can go on, on the NASDAQ and you can look at different public companies who have 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 million dollars in investment and less than 10 million dollars in sales. And so Canix Consulting comes with the idea that we're going to come and create the supply chain, not from the producer toward the buyer, but from the buyer side toward the producers. And so what we do is we leverage a capital efficient business model where we partner with strategic agro-industrial cannabis suppliers and cannabis producers. And what we do is we work on everything that is um, selling their product or commercializing it in the exterior on a B2B scale, as well as the logistics in terms of getting a product from Colombia to the world. Wow. And, and so does CanX um, cater to just businesses in Colombia or all over? So what we are is we're truly a global cannabis company. So we, what we do is, is we connect buyers and suppliers on a global scale. The grand majority of our suppliers and some of our most important and favorite ones are here within Colombia. That being said, we have suppliers within the United States. We have suppliers within Europe. And, and this is to be able to service the different markets depending on where our clients are and what the different requirements are for the product. Okay, and and just for the listeners out there, uh, cannabis is legal in Colombia. Yep, absolutely. So on an agro-industrial scale, there is a legal pathway from seed to sale. Uh, that being said, it's not like within the United States where there's adult use cannabis. So there's no dispensaries and, or anything like that. So it's a very B2B orientated, large agro-industrial process. And there's the opportunity um, within the Envima, or basically the equivalence of the FDA in Colombia to create over-the-counter products, to create sublinguals. We see a lot of topicals that have CBD in them. And so all of these are non-psychoactive products. We also have different RX products, so registered prescriptions and that you can find here in Colombia where the API or active pharmaceutical ingredient is either CBD or THC. And so we do have a 100% legal structure to work within. That being said, it's not as developed as, let's say, Canada or California. And how is the banking there for the cannabis companies? Um, you know, it's it's a 
a it's a developing situation just as in all all countries as it has been uh, there is ways to monetize through banking systems what you're able to sell uh, is it particularly easy no and do you have to convince banks that you're you know a legit institution and that everything that you're doing is you know 100 correct and and all of that, yes, there's definitely a lot of convincing that needs to be done to to be able to show them that, you know, what we're doing is 100% within the, the framework of the government. And, but it's, it's difficult. So it's basically the same here in the U.S. where the cannabis companies have a hard time getting the support of the banks. Yep, absolutely. You know, it's showing the banks that uh, what we're doing is is not as risky as they believe it is. They believe, you know, that this is an extremely risky industry, which as it's developing, it is, to be fair. And that being said, it, it is an agro-industrial crop. And as it is bought and sold on the international marketplace, it should be treated, you know, such as Colombian coffee, you know, which is an extremely, you know, demanded product, a product that is exported a lot. And, and that's one thing that I think that the Colombian government's really understanding and that I think it's important for everyone to understand. And it's that uh, the cannabis crop is not that much different than coffee, than cut flowers, than bananas. And I mentioned those three because, for instance, Colombia is the second largest exporter of cut flowers in the world, the fourth largest exporter of coffee in the world, and the fourth largest exporter of bananas in the world. And so, you know, the, the cannabis as it pertains to agro-industrial cultivation is just another crop that fits within our geography that we're able to produce. Oh, so so cannabis is 100% legal there, but there's no dispensaries. And is there like a limit to, let's say, for example, I go to Colombia, is there a limit on what to buy, what, what, to, what, I, what I can buy and where can I buy one? So you can buy, for instance, let's say a topical solutions, or you can go into a pharmacy and get an over-the-counter over sublingual solution, or for instance, an over-the-counter topical. And even, for instance, if you, have a if you have something like epilepsy, there's a drug called Neviot, um, which you can be prescribed and... Um, and this is a, a drug that's based with CBD. That's a registered pharmaceutical that you can purchase. That being said, in no part of Colombia, legally at least, are you able to to purchase like a, a dried cannabis flower, no psychoactive flower. So all so, non-psychoactive. So the CBD you can do over the counter, but the THC you can't buy yet. Yep, and the CBDs in the form of, of finished products. That's the most common form that we see it. You know, you can't buy um, dried CBD flowers, let's say. So tell us about March 14, 2023, when there was a first shipment of 60 liters of Colombian-produced high-grade full-spectrum cannabis extract and 40 kilograms of dried flour that arrived in Miami, Florida. And this is sent by um, your consulting group, CanX Consulting Group. Absolutely. So this was the first time in history that dried flour has been exported from Medellin, Colombia, and from the international airport here to any part of the world. In this case, we exported it 
to our warehouses in Miami, where it is being distributed to our buyers along the Eastern seaboard. And, and so for us, you know, the whole idea was there've been a couple uh, exportations from Bogota. So, you know, let's just imagine we're in the United States. Medellin is like saying, you know, Texas and Bogota is like saying New York. And so the whole idea is, is if I live in Texas and I'm producing cannabis or, or whatever to be exported, and why would I have to bring it all the way to New York so that it can be sent out? And they've been a couple of examples and mostly publicly traded companies that have exported dried flour from Bogota. That being said, a grand majority of them are actually within and much closer to Medellin. And so the question that we asked ourselves as consultants and as logistic experts is what is the necessity to bring it down to Bogota, which is the main international airport, instead of Medellin, which is the second biggest international airport, which is extremely close to a lot of the cultivators. And so basically with my business partners, um, Michael Paul and Juan David, Juan David is um, an expert at everything that has to do with customs, with um, monet with monetizing and foreign, foreign currencies, foreign trade. And he's one of the largest uh, exporters of gold in Colombia. And anyone that kind of is in the exporting world knows that gold is a very uh, complicated uh, item to export. And so basically with him, we started talking to all the different governmental organizations. So the DIAN, um, which is the um, organization that uh, basically manages imports, exports, and um, taxes, and with the anti-narcotic police, and with the equivalence of the FDA, with the equivalence of the USDA, and basically all of the different parts. And we brought them together into one area, basically, and we were able to explain that, you know, within the law, there should be a, the ability to export from Medellin. There is already the ability to export from Bogota, and on a few occasions it has happened. And so basically, after eight months of work, and we're able to say that we were the first company to export dried flour from Medellin to another part of the world, which was kind of said to be impossible per se. And so, you know, we're super happy about that. Yes, that's, that is very historical. And when you say high grade full spectrum cannabis extract, this is with THC or just hemp, CBD? So, so a little bit of context. So once again, we're not um, cannabis producers, right? What we do is we find cannabis producers, in this case, Manta. Manta is one of our most strategic, if not our most strategic producer. And they are also extremely uh, sophisticated business experts. They have extremely high moral standards and create, you know, positive impact both on the society, on the environment, they're USDA organic certified. And so for us, it was a very easy option between, you know, hundreds of potential companies, which company we should showcase both to the Colombian government, but also to the US government, which in this case was the country of the destination of the merchandise. And so we find the highest quality producer of the lowest cost and you know best quality cannabis on in my opinion on the planet and at least in Colombia 
And we're able to basically showcase all of the different international certifications that we have. And we're able to showcase that, you know, we have the, the equivalence of the good manufacturing processes. We have the equivalence of the good agricultural processes. And, and we're also, you know, in, in process of with them and getting international certifications, you know, that can be looked at both in Colombia and Europe and the United States, which in this case is GMP and GACP. And, and so, you know, what we basically were able to do is we're able to um, take their product, which to respond to your question in this case is a full spectrum extract. And so what this means is that their USDA organic cannabis has been extracted into a full spectrum. And so you'll find all the different uh, terpenes, cannabinoids, all of those different, um, you know, different things that you can find within a COA. And that being said, when we talk about THC and we talk about if something's psychoactive, we have to talk about and within what parameter we're, we're mentioning. And so in Colombia, psychoactive is 1% THC or more. While in the United States, psychoactive is 0.3% THC or more. So when we have less than 0.3% THC in the U.S., we're within the farm bill and they classify this non-psychoactive cannabis as hemp per se. And, and so what we have is we have a full spectrum. So it does contain traces of THC. That being said, within a certificate of analysis in the COA, these traces is less than 0.3% THC. And so thus it's considered non-psychoactive. Was it difficult for you to ship them in, to Miami? The, the difficulty is in, is in is the logistics behind the shipping. So the actual shipment occurred in three days between um, leaving the free trade zone, going to the airport where Avianca and, and their um, basically their their cargo carrier, Tampa Avianca, and picks up the merchandise where it goes through, you know, the Colombian customs, gets on a plane, goes two or three hours to Miami, gets off and then goes through the whole U.S. import process and then gets um, released at, at the um, gets released in Miami from from the import agents. Then um, it's only a three day process per se. But what's difficult is making sure that everything's in place. So that when we start going through the different checkpoints, both in the export and in the import, we comply with everything that we need to comply with. Yes, I'm just thinking of the Pablo Escobar show that I saw on Netflix, where, you know, they can hide everything in the shipment. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, it's one thing for us that that's super important in terms of, you know, what we're looking to change. And it's that. You know, Colombia is a it's a country where so much has happened since you know the the late '80s to basically the early 2000s, and and you know Colombia has a horrible stereotype for what it was and what it is nowadays is a completely different story. And what Canex, you know, what we like is to be able to rewrite the story and be an example of from Medellin, Colombia, you know, which is maybe the most stereotypical place within Colombia. And that we're able to export legal 
cannabis that's able to not just be exported, but also within the eyes of the USDA, the DEA, the FDA, uh, is also a product that's legally able to be imported. And, and so, you know, for us, this is a, a, a big deal to be able to change the idea of, of, of what Columbia is so that people start imagining it for other things as well. Yeah, that's right. And are the Colombians fighting for the right to be able to sell cannabis in Colombia? So right now, actually, we're in a historical moment within Congress in Colombia where we just passed the fifth of eight congressional rounds for adult use cannabis. And so like I mentioned right now, there is no dispensaries, right? There's no place where I can go buy psychoactive cannabis or even non-psychoactive dried flowers. That being said, uh, we're in the fifth of eight rounds. We actually just passed the fifth um, to be able to open adult use cannabis and have a dispensary-based system, which if it does pass, it would be by June. By June. Wow. Imagine. Mm -hmm. So I need to get back to you when when that has passed. Are there also companies uh, consulting with you on how they can open dispensaries in Colombia? So there are tons of different companies in Colombia that do consulting of different types. And that being said, you know, I think that Canix, we have... Um, we have a little bit of leverage on some of these other companies and it's because of the team that we have and really who's behind our team. And I think that, you know, this first legal exportation and importation shows that. And we were on um, a bunch of different local news channels. And I remember that my partner said one thing that was very interesting. And it's that, you know, you can go on the NASDAQ and you can look up companies with two, three, four hundred million dollar uh, market caps. And yet Canix, which, you know, has the fraction of that uh, operating capital, was the first company in, in doing the export. And so I think that this talks a lot about uh, who we are as a company, what our strategy is, and how we're able to navigate um, the industry in an extremely intelligent and efficient manner. And so although there are other companies that are, are consulting on how to get into the adult use uh, industry here in, in, in Colombia. Um, Canix has a lot of very um, high quality consultants, a lot of people in the space around the world. Um, you know, and, and we really do have um, kind of a, a head start on, on being able to develop it for our clients. Well, well you're, the farmers there are doing agro-industrial on hemp. Are the prices competitive compared to to the ones here in the US? Yeah, so this is a very interesting topic. And, you know, it's very important that when we're comparing prices, we're comparing apples and apples. And, and so, you know, there exists different types of hemp, right? You can buy an, an indoor CBD at one price, and it's very different than the price of buying, um, you know, hemp that's going to be basically a, a, extracted into an isolate or that's meant to be the fiber for maybe clothes and and so these two different products is what have to be considered and what we actually have is a product in the middle which is greenhouse cannabis right we don't cultivate indoors here in Colombia because we have the perfect climatical conditions 
And that being said, and the infrastructure to develop greenhouses compared to 100% outdoor is extremely cheap. And so here what we have is an extremely competitive, high quality medicinal and pharmaceutical grade greenhouse cannabis. Now, if it's psychoactive or non-psychoactive, in Colombia, there's license for both. And so a lot of the companies we work with cultivate both psychoactive and non-psychoactive. And what are the climate conditions in Colombia? So I really need to go there to feel the weather. You know, Colombia is is really ideal for cultivation because the different uh, climatical conditions depend on the line of latitude which we're on. And so here being so close to the equator, one of the benefits that we have is a stable photo period. So here we have 12-12 photo period, meaning that we have 12 hours of sunlight in 12 hours of darkness, basically uh, every single day of the year. So not like California, where we have short winters and long summers. And another big plus is that we have extremely abundant water sources. And, you know, some kudos that I have to give to Manta is their ability to implement within a international business model a good social and environmental practices. And so one of the things that they do, for instance, is we're right on the edge of a reserve. And so the water that we use comes from the reserve. And what we've done is we filter the water and we've also put it into a, basically a tube where we run it down to the nearby uh, town where they now have the ability to drink clean filtered water, which they beforehand did not have. And so it's, you know, just one additional step in how um, cannabis companies can be, you know, profitable, you know, they can be the first companies in, in exporting dried flour, and they can also create a, a, a positive environmental and social impact, you know, without having to uh, forfeit profits per se. And actually for a company like Canex, you know, what we look to do is we look to grab Colombian producers and we want to showcase them to the world as they start to dominate the marketplace and show that you know the most some of the most important producers in the world are extremely environmentally and socially conscious um, and so all of these factors you know play into uh, the geography and I mentioned this because you know if we were very unresponsible uh, ecologically per se, you know, we would potentially use harmful pesticides in our soil, which over time would degrade the quality of our soil. We may not implement, you know, good water management practices and water management systems, which over time could deplete the source of water, which we need to water our plants. And so, you know, Colombia is a very great ideal space with, in this moment, plenty of abundant resources and very uh, ideal climatic settings. Uh, that being said, it's very important for everyone working within and with these different resources to take care of them. I'm glad that Manta was able to help give clean water to the town because water is such a cost to filter filter out. And, you know, you buy water in those um, containers. And so I'm glad that Manta was able to give clean water to the town. Absolutely. And let me just throw one more out there with Monta. Very cool. And it has to do with the USDA organic certification that they have. And part of that certification, USDA organic, is that you can't have a monoculture. 
And so what does that mean that within the property, we don't only cultivate cannabis, yet we have different lots. And after the cultivation, we let them rest and we cultivate other crops. So what's the intelligent thing that Monta did here that is, you know, a small step for companies to potentially take? And what's cool that they did is that the crops that they cultivate to let the earth rest and to also complete their USDA organic certification, when they harvest them, they give it to the workers to provide food security programs. Wow. That's pretty, pretty cool. That's pretty great. I, yep. I thought that there is still no organic certification for hemp. So there is already an organic certification for hemp? So there's the USDA organic, which you can USDA organic certify these different crops in both in the United States and outside of the United States. You can find hemp cultivations that are USDA organic certified. So this is zero pesticides. It's not even it's zero pesticides. Yeah, so the, the USDA organic is, is different for everyone, right? So the once again, we talk about parameters. So actual USDA organic, I believe it means that you're 70% organic. That being said, in our case, we are 100% organic. So if we do use, let's say, pesticides, what we would use is, for instance, plant extracts, uh, such as a plant called neem. Um, so that's, you know, one good example of, you know, our, uh, let's say, biological um, prevention systems against, you know, pesticides or pests, insects, and the same idea with fertilizers, you know, we don't use inorganic fertilizers, we actually have our own composting systems. And so what we do is we add organic material you know, simply on top of where the plant is or where it's going to be cultivated. And we let the microorganisms and macro and micro micronutrients uh, basically create a, 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 like a homeostasis within the, within the, the soil so that when our plant comes, there's already the natural, um, uh, natural fertilizers, natural pesticides, natural insecticides, and the plant can be part of you know, the rest of the ecosystem instead of, you know, its own, its own kind of species within the rest of the ecosystem. <laughs> and, and you told me that Colombia is an eternal spring or was that just Medellin? That's Colombia. It's all of Colombia. So, you know, we have parts in that are hotter than others. So as we kind of go up to the northern coast, we have a deserty area. And, you know, down in the southern part, as we get down toward the Amazon rainforest, we have much more, you know, uh, rainy, um, rainy areas and a little bit in between. Medellin is the Eterna Primavera or the Eternal Spring um, is what they call it in Spanish. Um, but all of Colombia has the same photo period, let's say, um, at least in terms of the 12 hours of, of sunlight and the 12 hours of nighttime. Well, I'm digressing here, but if I travel there, will it be safe to walk around at night? Absolutely. You know, I've lived all over the world from Australia to California to Europe. And Medellin is one of the safest places to walk around. It's, you know, some of the nicest people on earth. And 
you know, and if you're in a spot where you shouldn't be, there will be usually a very kind person to come up and let you know that you, know, you should take a taxi somewhere else. <laughs> and so I feel very, very comfortable. I've been here for six years. You know, my friends and family have visited me and I've also fallen in love with uh, the city and the country. So I recommend it if you like good culture, good food, good music and, and a great climate. And so the stereotype of, you know, having the... So yeah, Medellin's a great place, very safe. You know, if you like food, you like good music, you like a great culture and beautiful climate, it's a great place to be. And, you know, there's not so much of, you know, the past stereotypes that everyone's heard about on Netflix and all of that. You know, it's like any place in the world and, you know, you have to... Uh, just be careful, you know, know where to go, where not to go. It's just like being in California, you know, in Los Angeles or San Francisco or any part of the world. And so the culture has really changed a lot. And, you know, any tourist or foreigner that comes down here that you ask how their experience was, they'll tell you that they absolutely fell in love with it. So just for the record, it's not overrun by the cart by the drug cartel, not like before. No, not at all. You know, they're, it's not like they run everything or anything like that. And honestly, um, there's kind of a saying here that basically says that you know, if you just stick to what you're doing, then, you know, the other bad people kind of stick to what they're doing. And it's very much like that. You know, if you're an honest worker, you're within a legal industry, you know, there's never any problems. And even for somebody that works within the cannabis industry, you know, which could potentially be and if you're thinking about the drug cartel, maybe one of the industries where they would be more involved in, you know, not liking what they're doing, what we're doing, there's still, you know, we've had no risk at all in any of the companies that I've ever worked with, you know, no problems at all that anyone thinks that we're competing with them <laughs> or whatever it may be. So, you know, Columbia is a beautiful spot now and it's not at all like it was in the 90s or early 2000s. That's great. Can you invite them how they can reach you and learn more about you and tell us about the services your company offers? So you can reach me at Oz, A-U-Z, at canexconsulting.com. Canex is C-A-N-N-E-X-P and then consulting. And we also have a website, canexconsulting.com. And basically the services that we offer are in international or global businesses or even regional businesses in the U.S. that are looking to expand into not just a, a multi-state operator, but a multinational operator. And, and what we can do is, is we can help basically amplify your perspective on how to be part of the cannabis industry. And also, you know, if you're a, a psychoactive or non-psychoactive purchaser, and the country which within the, where you are in and if we're able to export to you you know then we have you know the highest quality non-psychoactive and psychoactive cannabis at fantastic prices and so we're also able to help uh, buyers that are looking to basically become more anti-fragile that are looking maybe not just for one uh, you know one source in their supply chain but several maybe even a supply chain where Things like taxes don't affect as much prices as they do in the U.S., um, for instance. Um, and so, you know, what we're here to do is we connect buyers and suppliers. You know, we connect people that are within the space and we help, you know, business professionals 
develop and bring their cannabis business to the next level. Thank you. And so I have three fun questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's see them. Let's hear them. Is there a favorite strain that you like to smoke or consume? I like a Jack Herring. Jack Herring is my favorite strain, I think. Okay. And what is one thing that people don't know about you? Wow. One thing that people don't know about me. I'm basically and... asking you to spill your secret. <laughs> <laughs> one thing people don't know about me. Well, one thing most people don't know is that I was born in Stockholm, Sweden. And my first language was a little mix of Dutch, Hebrew, and English all at the same time. It's one thing people don't know about me. So how many languages do you fluently speak? Right now, I fluently speak, you know, three languages and i understand quite a few others and you know if i wanted to learn a language my mind is pretty quick at learning it nowadays that's amazing okay and the last is what is your ultimate comfort food wow my ultimate comfort <laughs> food like when you're feeling mm. down what are you craving when i'm feeling down in Colombia, we have something called papitas cochinas, which is basically like French fries, but mixed with like sausage and cheese and, you know, grilled onion and all that kind of good stuff. I will write that down. Papitas cochinas. Cochinas. Uh-huh. Papitas cochinas. Like, like, like dirty fries almost is what they're dirty called. Dirty fries. <laughs> but very delicious and fills your soul. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 100%. Oz, thank you so much for, for taking the time to educate our viewers and listeners. And um, I hope to talk to you soon when that bill has been passed for adult recreation in Colombia. Absolutely. I, I thank you so much, Isa, for your time, for having me on the podcast. And, you know, I'm very excited to come back and talk to you. Thank you. Uh, stay tuned for next week for another episode of Talking Cannabis with Clarissa. And if you need more cannabis news, go to ganjli.com. Bye, Oz. Bye. Appreciate you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to the entire episode. If you enjoyed it, please help support the show. Hit subscribe and leave a rating and review. See you next week for a new episode.